my name's James Cridland, and this is Uncommon. This podcast is brought to you by Neural Media. Are you an entrepreneur or marketer who needs help making podcasts, video, or animation? Perhaps you don't have time to manage a freelancer or the budget to deal with an agency. Well, Neural Media can help you with simple and affordable content creation, saving you time and money by taking away the pain of producing that content. To learn more, head to neural.com slash media. That's N-E-U-R-A-L-L-E.com slash media. Play around with our pricing or request a callback directly. Listeners to the show receive a special discount by using the promo code UNCOMMON. Welcome to another episode of Uncommon. My name's Jordan Michaelides and I'm your host. In this episode, I have for you James Cridland. James is the founder of Pod News and Media.info. With an impressive career at leading organizations such as the BBC and Virgin Radio, he's clearly earned the title of Radio Futurologist. I think, in my humble opinion, James is the hero we need and deserve in the podcasting and radio industry, delivering us goodness through his daily news and analytics. In this episode, we covered a lot, including starting out in radio, working for the BBC, how Pod News began, complexities in podcasting, the future and what it holds, and his five favorite non-musical sounds. If you like the episode, do leave us a rating in your favorite podcast app. Or if you want to shout out for reviews, leave us a review so we can find that as well by next Thursday. If you want to share with your friends, take a screenshot and post on your Instagram story, tagging us at uncommon underscore show. To watch the episode or video in full, search Uncommon Show on YouTube. And of course, don't forget to like and subscribe. Show notes and all previous guests can be found at neural.com slash podcasts. With that being said, guys, thanks for listening. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with James Cridland. James, welcome. We're live. How are you? I, I'm I'm good. It's <laughs> it's good to be in Melbourne. It's good to to be reminded what what clouds look like. I know. It. What's what was it like when you flew down from uh, Brisbane prior? It's always really like your winter there is like what eighteen degrees or something like that. Well. I mean, sometimes it goes down to seven, um, mm-hmm. and seven indoors is is really cold. Let me tell you, but uh, but yeah, but you know, winter lasts for about a week, so yeah. it's kind of all right. You don't get the wind chill that we have. No. So the wind chill is, I think, we get these sort of Arctic, uh, sort of mistral type things that come yeah. through the south, the south of the bay, and so as an example, Lauren's parents live down on the peninsula. And down on the peninsula, there's all these little oh, piers. Oh, yes, it's cold down there. It's very cold. Oh, yes. You go stand on a pier at, I don't know, dusk or something like that, and the wind starts to pick up, and mm. you can literally feel it through your bones. I made a, the mistake of going on holiday on the peninsula uh, about um, was last year, kind of springtime. That was a big mistake. Mm. It was properly cold down there. Was it? Yes. Which Where did you... Cold. Do you remember where you went to? Oh, uh, Sorrento, no. Portsy, any of those ring a bell? None of them. <laughs> None of them. No. I do love it down there. Look, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm the type that I, I grew up in Victoria. My favourite memory is playing soccer in the cold in the Dandenong Mountains with the rain hitting my hands, which were numb. Mm. 
mm-hmm. and then coming home and having a nice warm shower. Nice. So you can see why when we're chatting before in the kitchen, I love the UK because I love that sort of the green rolling fields, the cold, wild weather. Yes. All that sort of stuff that that you'd come to expect from the UK as well. Yes. You don't get too much of that in Brisbane, it has to be said, particularly this summer, which or this winter, uh, which has been tremendously dry. Um, I can't quite remember it raining properly. Okay. Um, it has been very dry, though. It's been there. incredibly dry. So yep. I drove two hours yesterday north, and um, everything looks... It was a bit weird because it was raining drizzling very slightly for a little bit of it yesterday and it kind of reminded me of autumn in the UK and that everything was brown but everything okay. was brown for a different reason because there was no because there's been no water yeah. and so, and, yeah. and also that it's uh, the equivalent of the end of your winter as well it in is. Brisbane so Indeed. not a good thing no um i got to ask why Brisbane Oh, I met a girl. Okay. Yeah. As all love stories begin. (laughs) (laughs) As all love stories begin. Yes. And so we, um, and so uh, when our daughter was born, we were there working out what to do for school. And, you know, the UK's um, got very good schools, um, but in London in particular, the school infrastructure hasn't necessarily kept uh, pace with the amount of people uh, who live there. And, you know, and obviously, you know, London's a busy busy place and we were thinking well you know where would be best to bring our daughter up and um, we decided that um, 10,000 miles the other side of the world was probably the best place. Look it's a fair point. Which to, um, be, which, to be honest now looking back is probably a good thing. Yeah oh, yeah of course there's the, the Brexit coming on but yes. you've also just got to look at us I feel like Australian life I've worked in the finance sector for a while or I had worked in the finance sector primarily And uh, obviously working in that sector, a lot of British expats from the city of London and London come over here. And um, you sort of really start to get an idea of what life is like in the UK. And, you know, I feel like quite uh, it's very interesting seeing people who are naive to complain about life here. Like life is very, very easy here. In London, Mm. it's super competitive. When you're talking about one of the biggest, most competitive cities in the world, there's something like eight to ten million people that live in Greater London, yes. right? Yes. Um, and I can and, totally and understand who, why and they who come all out. want your seat on the tube in the morning. So exactly. Like, yes. And then they come out here and they think, <laughs> "Wow, it's it's sunny. I get paid basically the same. Cost of living is relatively similar." Um, why don't I just stay here? Mm. And I can totally understand. I mean, people all speak English as well. That's also a good thing. Yeah, to a point. <coughs> to a point, yeah. Um, so yeah. it's, it's. I can, yeah, I can see why they wanted. I mean, mo- the two guys that in particular I'm thinking about that I worked with, Dan and Tom, they were both from uh, the UK, but they met girls that, like yourself, were mm. Australian. And one was Swedish, but they 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 seem to love the lifestyle yes. in Australia. Yes. And I don't blame them. But um, you, you were chatting before about growing up in the UK. You're from London yourself. Yes. Which part of London? Well, I was born in Hammersmith. Um, okay. Obviously, I couldn't live in uh, Hammersmith because I'm not made of money. So yeah. uh, I ended up living in North London, uh, very close to a place called Cockfosters, which mm. ev- everybody knows where Cockfosters is because you hear it mentioned on, on the, the train. Chief, yeah. Yes, all the time. And so I lived in uh, a, a lovely little place called Southgate. 
okay. um, called because it was the south gate of the king's hunting grounds uh-huh. um, back in the 1600s. So, um, yeah, and it's, um, you know, a wonderful little little uh, place with its own tube uh, station, which looks a bit like an alien has landed. Really? Um, and, uh, yeah, so I lived there for, what, uh, 11, 12 years or so. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's a, a great place to live if if you're working in media really uh, at the time at least there was no uh, there was no option you needed to live in london because that's where all of media was uh, yeah. it's becoming a bit less uh, London centric now, but that's certainly as it was. So um, yeah, so I moved down there to work for a bunch of uh, stations and a bunch of uh, of organisations. Who yeah. um who was your team that you supported growing up as a kid? Your your APL team, uh, Premier League team. Well, yes, um, I didn't really support one. Okay, I didn't really support one. I. Um, you know, I ended up uh, for one year, uh, again, for reasons of women, uh, ended up following around Plymouth Argyle, who are definitely not in the Premier League, um, and uh, which was, you know, which was an experience. I, I think I preferred the, the beer in the pubs rather than the matches, but nevertheless, uh, <laughs> that's basically it. But yes, I'm one of these strange English people that doesn't really do sport. Yeah, um, and I know sport that you know at all or certain sports. Uh, sport at all. So I know that you know uh, here in Melbourne, you you follow uh, very strange sports in comparison to uh, uh, to uh, Br- Brisbane and you know and all of that. So I, I appreciate that there's a massive difference <laughs> down here as well, and that you know sport is what makes Melbourne go round. Yeah, um, it's like living in Texas and not saying that you're a Christian. <laughs> it, yes. it really is. Yes. <laughs> So uh, yeah, and and you know, one of my friends uh, who now does a breakfast show down down here. One of the first things that he ended up doing on his breakfast show was to work out what what's what, his team, what, what what is my team, what yeah. team am I going to, to support, and that's a great thing. Whenever I meet new expats, immigrants, or Uber drivers, um, I always <laughs> say to them. Uh, pick a team and pick it fast because it's yes. the question that you're going to get asked the most. Yes. Um, what, what sort of? I mean, the- it's easy in terms of state of origin, obviously. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. State of origin. <laughs> no one gives a shit about who wins. They just want it to. I think actually. Oh no, we we give we we really care. Oh, who you wins. do. Yes. In, in Victoria, we. But don't. in Victoria, of course you don't. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, but I think there's there's recently been like a bit of contingent. Uh, of, of fans from Melbourne Storm who really want Queensland to win because there's a lot of uh, te- players from Queensland oh, that play I for see. Melbourne. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. So, th- so there you go. <laughs> what, yes. What's sort of your earliest memory growing up in the UK? Earliest memory? I was unaware it was one of those types of podcasts. <laughs> um, uh, earliest memory. Um, one of the things that I remember relatively early on, apart from running into a barbecue, uh, which is a very Australian thing to do, but okay. I ran into a barbecue when I was about five or six yeah. and was rushed to hospital with a great big burn. Um, accepting that, um, I remember getting my first radio. Yes, the Kellogg's Frosties. The Kellogg's Frosties radio. Yeah. Yes, you're a man who's done your research. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And so, you know, actually saving up the money, uh, well, uh, saving up the vouchers from the side of my packets of Kellogg's Frosties. Um, and then, you know, sending off for this tiny little plastic radio. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, that was, uh, you know, one of my first memories was actually getting that thing back and starting to play around with it. Was that... 
do you think where the passion for radio really came from is that initial playing around sort of period? Like, how did you go from that to starting to work in FM radio, I guess? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I started, um, you know, I was fascinated with the radio that I got. We used to listen to the radio whenever I was in the car being driven to school. Uh, Obviously, I wasn't driving to school. (laughs) Being driven to school. (laughs) It'd be funny um, if you were there. You know, there was Terry Wogan on on Radio 2. um, And, uh, you know, and that was something that we listened to all the time. Um, and and I remember, you know, Margaret Thatcher becoming prime minister and hearing that on the radio with my uh, dad in the car and, and you know, on the, on the BBC. And so, you know, listening to all of that, and I was there thinking, this is something that I really want to do. And yeah. so I ended up doing, uh, my exams were uh, physics, okay. music and politics. Physics, just in case I wanted to be a station engineer. Music, so I could understand the music side. And politics, in case I wanted to be a journalist. So you can see that there was clearly something there in terms of really wanting to be involved in the audio world. Um, But I can see that physics background as well. Maybe that's sort of an element of, like, do you find you're a very conscientious person? Like, I would assume that reading your newsletters that you are, because you're, you're very empirical and... You know, like if you re- if you post about something in the newsletter, you've mm. you've often tested it yourself just for the sake of testing it and reporting back to the audience, which mm-hmm. I find interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's something I try and do because actually, you know, at the end of the day, it's important to look behind to not just report what somebody is saying in an RSS feed or, or yeah. whatever, but to actually understand it. And I think that's uh, I think that's an important thing. And I think I'm very lucky in that I'm the only you know there are a few people who write about podcasts out there. Um, I'm one of a few who actually podcast. So there are quite a lot of writers who've never podcasted in their life, and I think that that's an important thing to do. But I think also important is to actually you know try these things, play around with them, understand how they work, how they don't work, so that you actually have even if you don't necessarily pass opinion, you do actually at least have some experience of how these things work. Yeah, and and. and- and then it's not just something that you would have grabbed from the copy of the PR release about X thing that's come out or, or this or that, which is another thing yeah, too that I see Yeah, actually understanding do. what the story is really about. Because yeah. there's one thing that the PR people want to tell you, what the story is about. And then there's another thing which is actually, oh, well, hang on there. <laughs> um, you know, which I, you know, I'm very lucky that I don't have one big advertiser. And so the money comes from lots of supporters and they're either commercial supporters or personal supporters and so therefore I don't I don't have to worry about upsetting anybody Um, and it's very easy I think if you work in uh, radio or you work in newspapers to go well we don't really want to upset you know Commonwealth Bank because Commonwealth Bank spends you know millions of dollars in our advertising and so therefore we don't really want to upset them that much and and from my point of view if I really 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 upset you know, whatever company, then I earn $50 less if they pull their supporting. So uh, from my point of view, I think I think that allows me to be much more honest. Mm. And, you know, to give them their due, uh, you know, I've broken a couple of stories which haven't been um, 
as positive to some companies as they would probably have wanted. Um, and to give them their due, there hasn't been a single company that has said, right, well, you know, we're not supporting you anymore. Uh-huh. So so that's quite nice that's to see. That's a good thing. I was, I was literally about to ask that. Have you had many people pull out on that basis and it sounds like I think they understand what they're getting into when they when they sponsor your yeah I think they do and 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 you know and I'm very careful to you know to explain what they're going to get out of it you know as well but I think um, you know I mean there was a point uh, where fairly early on in the history of pod news where I was writing about um, iHeart and iHeart were doing something, and it was probably a big mistake of theirs, but they were doing something that was essentially meaning that every single page load of their website was counting as a podcast play as well <laughs> in their stats. Um, and so I looked at all of the technology behind it and went, wait a second, there's something really weird going on here. Contacted them for comment, blah, 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 eventually published a story. Um, and I thought, well, I'll never get support from them. Uh, and within three months, they were a supporter. Really? And I thought that is, uh, that is you know, I mean, they've got, uh, you know, that that's a very grown-up thing to do. Well, I think to your, uh, to, I guess to give you a compliment, you are the anti-Dunning-Kruger effect, if that makes sense. I've never read something and thought, uh, like, you seem very fair and reasonable, and you can tell that. I think just that empirical approach to things means that if someone sees something that they would ordinarily disagree with, Mm. they know based on past experience that you're probably being reasonable. Like that you wouldn't read and go, well, that person's a fucking idiot. They have no idea what they're talking about. (laughs) Because I've never, because there's been multiple moments where I've read uh, newsletters where I have, uh, you know, a very specific knowledge in this area and thought, yeah, that, that's actually a fair point. So I guess you, having that approach has probably helped you in that regard. Yeah, well, I mean, it's kind of, kind of you to say. I think, you know, having worked in radio for 30 years, as I have now, yeah. and worked in the, the podcasting field sort of off and on since 2005, you know, I think I think that's quite useful to have that that history and that knowledge and be able to what I try and do a lot is to put things into context yeah. and to actually explain who these people are and to explain because there are new people getting involved in podcasting every single day to actually explain who these people are why this story is important um, is I think a very important thing as well yeah. and not just to have a look at whatever story is being spun by the PR people. The, co- the context part is big because yeah. a lot of people miss a, l- a lot of reporters don't I guess frame it in the comfort, uh, the context, and framing is everything. Um, you mentioned before about your early radio career. I was actually one of the few people who probably got down to the bit on your LinkedIn profile where you exclaimed <laughs> that, frankly, you shouldn't be reading this, which is I thought was quite funny. Um, we've yes. spoken about you, that initial love for radio. I know that uh, it seemed you work at Pulse FM, which I, I've finally dug into who was the former colleague that you worked with that committed that murder which was oh right i okay. found them it's it's it was i mean that could be a true crime uh yes podcast it, is, it, is, it, it is one of my sort of one of my go-to things <laughs> to warm an audience up yeah. is to point out here is a photograph 
um, of me on a radio station and there's a really important and really good DJ who has moved on to do all kinds of other things and there's somebody who's in prison for killing <laughs> for killing somebody. <laughs> it really disarms the audience. And then I just sort of pass on and it's fun to do, uh, <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, yeah, it came as a surprise. How did you land that <laughs> first job? Oh, well... Um, so I was really keen to work in radio, in some form of radio, and I, um, uh, so, you know, having had that conversation about not interested in sport whatsoever, uh, of course, the first uh, thing that I did is I wrote to the radio station and I said, is there any chance that I can just come in and, and help? I'd just love to help. Um, please let me help. And so... I came into the radio station for a week to help in their newsroom, which was essentially, you know, taking bits of tape and erasing it. And, you know, right. really t uh, tedious, you know, low-level work like uh, like that. Um, so they could reuse the tape and whatnot. Yeah, so they could yeah. reuse the tape and, and, and all of that. And my um, – so technically the first job that I did at a radio station is I carried the mobile phone for one of our reporters – Wow. Uh, and they were really, really big mobile phones at the at the point. Um, so that you know shows you two things. Firstly, how technology has changed, and secondly, they had reporters that would actually go out of the radio station, which was uh, you know which is an amazement now. But anyway, so you've got that side, and then I ended up working for uh, the sports editor who who saw me that week. Um, needed an extra pair of hands to work on on his sports show on a Saturday afternoon. Okay. And so there I was, and I started working on the sports show, uh, essentially, you know, re recording stuff from the the reporters that we had out in the field, reporting stuff that came up from a line in London, um, running into the studio, um, and doing all of that for uh, for a couple of years, um, earning nothing, um, but uh, really enjoying it. And so, yeah. And your first paying job was probably at Pulse FM, right? Yeah. And so my first paying job was writing radio commercials, um, That's right. which I've actually done for about seven years. But um, that was writing radio commercials for a couple of years um, f for, that, uh, for that station and going out and seeing clients and, you know, writing the spots that people hear. Do you? Uh, we were chatting about this in the kitchen earlier. Do you still have any of uh, any of those old ads recorded at all, like on tape or anything? I don't. I mean, one of the things that I I, I did uh, th that I'm 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 surprised that I never did is I never recorded any of the ads. I was then on the radio for two years. I never recorded uh -huh. any of that. Really? So I have no tapes of me on on the radio. So they didn't default. Um, I guess, yeah, I mean, default they did, record. They did but, record everything, but yeah. they, they recorded everything to the legal requirement, which was 60 days, and then everything was and then deleted and, and moved on. So I, I have no recordings. Um, and so every so often, really weirdly, uh, recordings appear on the internet. And so there was a, a little uh, recording that I heard. There's um, a Twitter handle that just posts old bits of radio, and he clearly lives in West Yorkshire. And every so often, you know, you get this weird clip of, uh, you know, some promo that I did promoting West Yorkshire's new official countdown. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm there going, I do not remember this at all. Well, what's the name of this handle? I've got to find it. I've got, I, I'm you have trying to, forward it to, to me think. Later. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Because we were talking about this historical footage and, and radio stuff earlier. And, and another one of my favorite ones is um, there's a Twitter handle 
can never remember his name until he makes a post, which is one every month or something like that. And I so infrequently go on Twitter these days that it's the first thing that comes up. And it's old footage of the UK uh, sort of like 30s, 40s era Mm. type stuff. Mm. And he's colorized it. So Mm. it was all black and white footage. Yeah. 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 Um, I feel like he works at the BBC. He's pretty well. He's yeah, like, probably there are there are twenty thousand of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it'd have to be if to get that sort yeah. of uh, that that film and whatnot. It, they'd have to be yeah. anyway. It's it's it must be fun seeing that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean it's it's tremendous because you, you know I've got no uh, I've got a couple of photo shoots and things like that, but I've got no recordings of me at all, <laughs> and so it's really weird seeing them and really weird hearing my voice and you know and it's a voice of somebody thirty years ago, you know, and it's <laughs> it's a very different sound, and yeah, it's a very strange thing. How's your accent changed since then? Um, my accent hasn't changed. Um, uh, I noticed that my radio voice had clearly changed a bit. In that, you know, I was very much more, very much more shouty okay. than I am now, and uh, Pulse a, FM bit, live. a bit more, <laughs> a bit more. Um, what's the word? A bit more sort of, you know, you get, you got this sort of feeling that it was a little bit more transatlantic in phrasing, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But that was what the, what radio was like in those days. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but you know, I mean, it was a wonderful place to work, a wonderful, um, I mean, I think we kind of, you know, it's difficult to look now and you have all of the, uh, the research behind media now and you, you know that really you can talk for about 18 seconds and that's the limit of a presenter break now. And, you, and, and, you know, and there are all of these formats in terms of this crunch and roll, which is a format where you're only allowed to talk over the intros of songs and, you know, and all this kind of uh, stuff. Back then, there was so much more, um, you know, freedom to do whatever it is that you wanted to. Um, to the point where when I was first in that radio studio, I didn't have a list of songs to play. It was up to me to work out what what songs I wanted to play, Um, which is, you know, I mean, if if you talk to most radio presenters now who are working for the big commercial stations, they go, well, uh, you know, that's never been the case. You know, it it, it, it was a tremendous thing. And I think, you know, we kind of forget uh, just the amount of freedom that we had and the fact that there we were, we were a radio station broadcasting to 1.2 million people, which isn't actually that big in the UK, um, but, you know, still uh, a sizable amount of, uh, of uh, people. And, um, you know, and they left somebody like me in charge of a radio station for four <laughs> hours. You know, I wasn't even 20. What, what, you know? <laughs> what segment did you do? Do you remember? So I did, um, well, I did drive time for a year. Oh wow! Um, and then, uh, and then uh, the guy that did evenings was sacked, and I ended up doing evenings. Okay. Um, and uh, um, and then um, when I then moved to uh, Sheffield uh, and worked there, I did Sunday breakfast and swing. So swing is when you're doing stuff for other people when they go on holiday. Uh-huh. So I did pretty well every shift on 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 uh, Hallam. Wow! And most of the shifts on Magic, which was the AM service. Um, do you and, th- uh, yeah? Do you think um, there was a lot more channels back then? 
No, there were far fewer. There were far fewer radio stations, uh, okay. which was great because that actually meant that the mediocre would still be listened to. <laughs> um, but there was also much less uh, networking. So if you look, so uh, as one example, I worked uh, wrote radio commercials at a station called Viking uh, in yeah, Hull. Yeah. And so Viking um, was a massive powerhouse radio station. It was on 24 hours a day. Um, at 24 hours a day, human beings were in that building doing shows on that radio station. Now, when you have a look at that radio station, it does one local breakfast show. That's it. Everything else is coming from somewhere else. And they've just made the decision, the owners of that station, they've made the decision that, well, there's no point in keeping a studio going here. We're going to close the entire radio station down and Viking will still have a local breakfast show, but it will be a local breakfast show piped in from studios an hour and a half down the motorway. What's the point? Um, <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you kind of do ask yourself, what's the point? But what a change. What a change from being something that was you, were, you felt proudly local about to something where even the breakfast show, the Viking FM breakfast show, is coming from Sheffield. Uh, so, you know. so it's mirroring what really has happened in the industry writ large, like yeah. pu publishing in general. I mean, yeah, publishing in general. You can look at uh, the US, which, which has happened in which it's happened in much the same way. You can look at. Um, you know, I mean, radio here in Australia has, has done mostly that. So you listen to either the ABC or to, you know, HIT or to Triple M, and most of the most of the programs are coming from somewhere else. Um, That's a good so, point. yeah, you know, I mean, it's 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 probably being fair. It's the only thing that you can do being a radio station now to keep um, earning revenue in the way that you are. You know, in the way that you uh, always used to, but it it seems to me, you know, uh, um, there's so much more choice of radio station, but there's actually far less choice if you are a talented, um, you know, producer or presenter. And I, w I was neither of those things. But if you if you have that talent, there's nowhere for you to go, other than, of course, to podcasting, which uh -huh. is great. Well, speaking of talent and where you went with your career you spoke about coming to australia for for love a nice uh love story there that someone should turn into a podcast um i've i've got here I, I can map out where you've gone from working you know you obviously did pulse fm you originally worked at virgin radio mm. um i think you started the one of the original podcasts there you then moved to the bbc as any good Englishman would yeah. um, in that industry. It's the law. It's yeah. the law, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Working on the, the what was then the iPlayer, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so you've got that period of your life and then you've got this life in Australia where now you're a consultant, uh, you've worked with the likes of the ABC, Seven News, West Media, you've got Pod News, Media.info. Piece, piece the parts where you go from here, life in Australia, completely living off what you do there mm. between your lo sort of last few gigs in the UK. How was the, what was the sort of stepping stones with that? Well, um, so, I mean, so one of the things that I had done is, um, uh, as you say, after leaving uh, working at Radio in Yorkshire, I went down to London. Uh, it was in the middle of the dot-com boom. 
Um, and I was running a website which is called Media Info now, but was called Media UK uh, then. Uh, you can probably see why I had to change the name. <laughs> and um, that was something that was earning, uh, you know, enough money for me to kind of live off just. Yeah. And it was right at the beginning of the dot-com boom. And so oh, wow. a company said, why don't you come and work with us? Um, you know, my partner at the time wanted to change jobs uh, anyway. Why don't you come and work with us? We will take, uh, we will take, you know, the code and we will help you with um, making this website that you have into a much more profitable thing and then sell it. That was basically the idea. And, uh, and it was a company, um, a software development company that basically worked for um, one t uh, telecoms company, one, you know, oh, really? mobile phone company. Yeah. Um, it's sort of equivalent to, not Telstra, but it's, yeah. it'd be so like that, I mean, a TPG. Yeah. So, I mean, the equivalent of that was a smaller one, but, it, but the equivalent of that sort of thing. And they did all of the billing software for that telephone company. <laughs> Um, and so they they thought we've got these really good um, software developers. We have a sort of an up and down thing in terms of uh, the amount of work that our client is asking us to do. And so what Media UK or Media Info as is now um, could do is we can actually take the same software that we're working on um, for somebody else and actually um, uh, and actually work during our downtime for. Mid UK to make the software better and you know etc. So it was a, it was a clever it was a clever plan and it was at the, exactly the right time except when it very very quickly wasn't because two <laughs> things happened. Firstly, the dot com boom stopped booming, um, <laughs> which was a bit of a mistake. And then secondly, the telecoms company um, that the company was doing the the billing for turned around and said, "Yeah, now nah, we don't want you anymore." And wow. so all of a sudden, one company based in the centre of London, um, with you know twenty developers, all of a sudden thought we have no customers anymore, um, and so they went bust. And so you know, so I remember going. Oh, uh, I remember going one night and and, and going, uh, you know, well this is uh, this is a little bit embarrassing. Um, I have you know the only thing that I have which is earning me money at the moment is this media website. What am I going to do with it? Um, because it's on a box. It's on a literal actual server um, in a rack somewhere. Um, I need to get it and I need to keep running this uh, this this website but I don't own the box and I don't own the you know blah 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 so <laughs> so anyway oh very late at night one night um, a friend of mine uh, and me went into the internet hosting company um, who we had friends at anyway um, and um, picked the box up and went home wow. and plugged it into my internet connection at home and just hoped that it would carry on running and it did so I was able to keep that company going oh my god even though you know everything else had sort of fallen you know fallen down I had to rewrite everything but uh, yeah and, so and it was a, how long was it between a fun old experience between that until you could move it to say AWS and so, how many years? Oh, I mean, years and years. So literally that website for a full year or so was running on a laptop that was underneath my stairs at home at the end of an ADSL line. Um, but it worked and I was able to actually keep the thing running enough to then go to um, uh, it's a company called uh, Fanatical Support 
who are they? Robert Scoble worked for them for a while. Really? Uh, Red, what were they called? Uh, Rackspace. Rackspace. Oh, so Rackspace. I ended, yeah. yeah. So I ended up um, uh, buying a Rackspace uh, box, which is hugely expensive, and running it off there for for some time, and that kind of worked. And then eventually AWS came along, and you know, and, and my hosting costs went down and down and down. <laughs> so that was helpful. But by that point, um, I'd made the decision to go and work for uh, I worked for Virgin Radio for uh, five or six years. Okay. First and worked at the BBC for two years um, and um, yes and then left the BBC in 2009 um, I think I don't think I was quite ready to work for the world's largest broadcaster having worked for very small companies in the in the past um, you know working for the world's largest broadcaster is a bit difficult yeah um, I could imagine be a, just a little bit bureaucratic just a yeah, tiny bit just a bit yeah um slightly a little bit political in a 20,000 <laughs> headcount organization yeah so i mean the way that i used to talk about it at the time was um that you know it, it, you know when you go and you watch a play okay you go and you watch a play and everybody's brilliant and the orchestra's great and they and they play in time and everything and the and the all of the actors know their lines and it's just, you know and the lights work and everything and it's just brilliant and then you work for the for, for that play you work behind okay. the scenes <laughs> and you realize that the leading man and the leading lady hate each other and you know she's having an affair with this guy and this person's an alcoholic and and the orchestra you know that person is never there in the orchestra and blah 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 and you realize that that what you get to see when you're sitting in the audience is a very different view to what you get to see once you're actually working behind the scenes uh-huh. and that was very much my experience at the BBC and I think being fair that's the experience that you get if you're working in uh, you know middle management or senior management that's a that's the sort of experience that you get there if you are further down then you're actually you know management's job is to shield your talent from that (laughs) uh, which is something that I hope I did quite well during my my time there um, so you were, mani- if you're, you were a manager there? Yeah, so I was looking after, I think at one point I was looking after 76 developers Jesus. Uh, on their websites. Um, and, you know, and it, uh, and some incredibly intelligent people and some really good people there. But my goodness, the politics nearly killed me. So, so, so you left the BBC. You had Media.info for a while now. Hmm. Where did Pod News come into it? So... Um, well, so I, you know, I started working as a radio consultant, and I still go and talk at lots of conferences across the world, and uh, um, helping companies about what the what the future is and where the future is going in terms of radio. And um, I went to the uh, the Worldwide Radio Summit, which is a thing okay. that happens every year in L- Los Angeles. And I kind of joke in that it's a bit like, you know, Worldwide Radio Summit is, is as worldwide as the worldwide, you know, baseball championships are it's not that worldwide but nevertheless there are a few people that come from uh, from overseas and i was chatting with a, a friend of mine in the bar after the first day and we were talking about podcasting and he said you know what what really annoys me this is an american friend of mine what really annoys me is there's nowhere to go to get news about podcasting there's plenty of places to go about radio okay but there's nowhere to go to get news about podcasting and what year was this and that was 2015. Okay. Right. 
and so I thought, um, and so I thought, ah, well, that's interesting. And I've been kind of doing something around this, around you know the future of radio as a newsletter for a while. So I understand how that bit works. I understand how the internet works. I understand how podcasting works. Maybe this is something for me. Um, and so about three months later, I'd done a few trial runs in terms of workflow to work out when I could fit it into my day, because that's an important part of doing this. Yeah. And working out what the quickest way of doing it could be, um, because I'd already learned from Media Info that the way that you, um, the way that you can produce great value isn't to write to rewrite press releases as articles that that's a, a mugs game um <laughs> but is to actually you know do link uh, you know link out to two places to help people find the news and you are compiling essentially a links list every day yeah which is what we were chatting about before we started recording that's i think the real value in it yeah because actually instead of just seeing somebody trying to rewrite a press release um, and really not adding that much to it, actually linking to the press release or copying and pasting the press release and being really open and honest that that's what you're doing is actually just as valuable because you're actually, you know, linking somebody to the full amount of detail that that company has given you. And occasionally, yes, by all means, write a full article about X, Y, and Z that's that's uh, going on. But your main focus is to curate that list of things which are going on that you should know about. Yeah. Um, so I sat there and I sort of played around with the timings, worked out what would work for me in terms of a daily newsletter, and then um, put that live at the end of May in 2015. May 2015. And how long after that did the podcast come along? And so the podcast... I mean, you know, people were saying, a pod news, so it's a podcast, right? And I was saying, no, it's a newsletter. And they said, why don't you make it into a podcast? And I was thinking, well, A, because that would be a lot of work. Um, and B, because it's a links list. It's a list literally linking out to interesting stories that I have found that day. Um, you can't really make that into a podcast. Well, it turns out you can. Um, but it's just it's a slightly different experience. And so the point of the podcast um, is to direct people to the newsletter, uh, is to remind people that the newsletter exists. It's another touch point um, mm -hmm. out to people. Um, and it is there. It's a two-minute news briefing. It's available on you know smart speakers, which actually is where quite a lot of the uh, traffic comes from really um, it, it, which speaker in particular at the um, moment? Uh, both Google and and Amazon but Google uh. Google more so I think um, but yeah you know and it and so it sits there as something which is reminding people that the newsletter exists helping people find the newsletter in a different uh, you know in a different experience and again you know I mean it comes from my radio days uh, of talking to radio people and saying you have some great content you need to really get the most amount of value out of this content so don't just broadcast it once yeah broadcast it more than once stick it online do a transcript send the transcript out to the local press do as much of you can if you've got some great content that you actually have there and so i'm hopefully doing a bit of that for myself i there. think so i think um you know an example with ours like you know you just gotta you gotta document as much as possible and I remember um, mm. uh, we we had one of the gentlemen Courtney from uh, Nearly Media on he was talking yeah. about the fact that 
you've got to get the video, you've got to get audio, create promo clips and all that sort of stuff. I think that's really what major media organisations and the best creators do really, really, really well. They create that sort of pinnacle, um, you know, like a pyramid in a way, that base and then things that sprout up beneath that. Um, yeah, which is really it's, it's, important. It's massively important. I mean, if you think of a radio, if you think of a radio station of you know Hamish and Andy being a great experience yeah. of some really good Australian former radio presenters, but nevertheless radio presenters, and you look at what they did, and yes, they made a great radio show every single afternoon, but they also made great social media content that they shared. They made great um, experiences which you could actually yeah. you know use in different ways. Um, you know, it was a really good example of something that um, everything would pull you back to the radio show, but there was lots of other stuff there as well. And I think, you know, anybody that can make the most out of the the content that they have and get the best value out of it, you know, is 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 really important. Yeah. If you think about your day to day, what does that like? What what does the process look like for curating something like? Pod news. Are you are you literally sitting there consuming media throughout the day amongst other obligations you may have, like the the talk that you've got to do, I think tomorrow, or you know, do, how do you sort of look at that that breakdown of work? Yeah. So um, I mean, it really depends. But one of the things that I worked on with Pod News when I was sort of you know having a play and seeing will this actually fly as a thing was what can I do to make my workflow as simple and straightforward as possible? And I'm lucky in that I can code. Okay. And so the website itself is my own code. That's good. So I can actually then go, what is possible? What am I able to do? So as a case in point, um, if you read the Pod News newsletter, mm-hmm. at the bottom of the Pod News newsletter, virtually every day are a list of new podcasts or podcasts which are in the news in some way, shape, or form. And there's a little um, there's a little square of the artwork of that podcast there, um, and there's a link that leads you off to a podcast page um, so that you can subscribe on whatever it is that you want to subscribe to, and blah blah blah. And um, and all of that is laid out in a in a particular way for that section of the newsletter. I don't do any of that. I literally really? link to a podcast and my code goes, oh, he's linked to this podcast. I'll go and I'll get the the artwork and I'll put it here. Um, I'll go and I'll get this and I'll uh-huh. put, you know, so all of that stuff is all completely automatic so that I can spend less time on producing, on, on doing the the boring you know the boring work of of um, uh, of you know layout and spend more time getting the story and actually being able to produce something which looks as okay. you know, simple and straightforward. And so if we if we're looking because I was just reading uh, yesterday's this morning, I love by the way how you've got that thing. It's like this will take you two point seven. I'm guessing you've got some sort of automatic calcula- calculation, yes. sort of like our mediums got that. Yes. So you basically where you spend your time, the audience probably can't see this, but is on the the bulk of those dot points there before it gets to the classified sort of section or before it gets to the podcast section. Well, that. so I, I'm I'm basically uh, so I'm, I'm I mean I guess what I'm saying is that I I uh, spend my time on the editorial and mm. I don't spend my time on laying it out or making it look 
pretty because that's what code is for. Yeah. And at the end of the day, if you can code, and this would be my tip for anybody that's uh, you know watching or listening to this, if you can code, that is an amazing skill that you have that you need to really make the most of. And so I... I write every edition of Pod News into a text editor. I use a thing called Markdown, which is just an easy way of, of adding links, so that I never have to touch a mouse. I'm just I, I'm just writing stuff. Um, <laughs> I never I never have to worry about you know I need to uh, highlight this word and then find the bold button and do all of that stuff. No, because you know it's, you just use Markdown. It's really quick and really really simple. All of the adding of the um, so I made some mistakes when I started taking uh, sponsorship. I made some mistakes of occasionally forgetting to put the sponsor in. <laughs> and I thought, this is a mistake. And then I thought, but I'm a coder. Um, and so now my system will literally not let me send the, the newsletter if I haven't put a sponsor there or if I haven't up uploaded the podcast, which I also host myself. Uh -huh. It literally says, no, nah, I'm not doing it because you haven't uploaded the the podcast yet. Wow. And so just getting all of those little bits of code in there has really saved myself an awful lot of time. So to, to answer the question, I can put, I, I, I don't really don't want to, but I can put an entire day's worth of pod news together in 45 minutes. Um, but typically I'm spending, you know, three or four hours uh, at it. And yeah. part of that is going into Facebook, going into Reddit, going into Twitter and actually seeing what people are talking about because that's a tremendous way of getting some idea of what the buzz is uh, and what the new stories are that you won't find on an RSS reader and you won't find from emails from you know PR uh, companies. And PR companies will hate me for saying this, but <laughs> quite a lot of the time I will only read your emails if I don't have enough news. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think you know? um, that process as well is what prevents piss poor performance and is a reason why people read it because <clears throat> you, all that preparation goes into giving like you don't have to go oh geez what am I going to put in there you already know you've already got in your own head well what would I want to read what was interesting today and then it just goes in yeah. there yeah, and I use um, I use Google Keep an awful lot, which is basically I'll, I will just share anything that I'm uh, that I see, which is interesting. I'll go all right, copy that into Google Keep for later, and then when I sit down to write the newsletter up, um, it's just I, I open Google Keep and there are twenty stories, and I then work out which I'm going to actually keep. Yeah, uh, yeah. well, I, look, as I was saying earlier, I think it's probably if if anyone has a podcast or is interested in or the, the space of audio, let's call it radio, podcasts, um, voice-based platforms. I think you've got to have pod news in there because I, I was saying before, I've got four at the moment. I've got Value Investing World, which is really your investing finance, pod news, the DigiDay video briefing, and then Tim Ferriss's weekly mm. uh, mailer as well. I mean, if you're, if you're uh, you know, bored enough about, uh, about the future of radio, then I would also recommend my Radio Trends newsletter, which is at james.crid.land. Uh -huh. um, I didn't even know that that which existed. Looks, which looks vaguely familiar to pod news. I can't think why that might be. But anyway, <laughs> um, but james.crid.land is something that I do every week. I do a, um, uh, a newsletter, which is just interesting things that I have spotted about the future of 
radio. Okay. Um, but, you know, it's there because I have that interest um, and I still do a, an awful lot of talking about it and an awful lot of working with broadcasters as well. So it's useful to keep me up up to speed with what's going on in that in that area too. Back on the point of process, you were talking before about specific mm. pieces of software that you're using, text editor. I know you use Hindenburg for actually editing the episode. Um, I, I found it interesting looking at some of your talks and you were looking, uh, I think you were demonstrating a product called Script Editor. It might have been some sort of, it, where you could take out ums and ahs and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, so I've demonstrated a product which I think is called Spexed uh, Spex, in the past, it. but um, now I uh, you, you won't see that anymore. You will see a demonstration of uh, a, a piece of software called Descript, which does much the same sort of thing, um, uh-huh. but is actually really cool and really smart. And I edited, um, you know, to your point about trying, trying things out, I edited the Pod News podcast with it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, a couple of months ago, um, where again it was a word processor. You could go in, you could just edit, edit out, uh, you know, sentences that you didn't want in the in the podcast. It would transcribe everything automatically for you. You could add music. You could do editing. Uh, it's a really good little um, tool. And do you still um, use it today at all? I used you? it. I used it once okay. for that. Um, I am old enough to have, you know, initially edited on reel-to-reel tape, so I know my way around an editor, and so I'm quite happy with that. But, okay. but yeah, but you know, there are these wonderful tools out there which mean that actually, if you want to make a great podcast, you don't necessarily need to learn how you know Adobe Audition works anymore. You can just actually focus on. Um, just telling a story, and that's the most important thing. Well, well, that's one of the things that I guess intrigues me. I think we'll get we'll get into that in a moment because because one of the points I want to talk about is is production still, but mm. um, is these business models which are sort of arising in this space. But before we come to that, um, you know, one of the things that that we were asked frequently when we when we were sort of grabbing out questions and just speaking to other people that were in the industry. Mm. You know, you see a lot of high-quality podcast shows. You report on a lot of different things. I mean, for even for us personally, we're sort of one of those middling podcasts, the sort of top 20 percentile. But you know how like the top 1% yeah. are really the ones who get all the revenue, the majority of the audience, so on and so forth. So, you know, a show like ours may have 4,000 unique listeners, but a Joe Rogan of the world might have 100,000 as as an example. I I guess I was curious, what do you think takes those podcasts from sort of a middling podcast to a top podcast? Is it all elements of production, audience, time, things like that? I guess I was just curious to hear your thoughts seeing the industry as it is. I mean, I guess, you know, I mean, Joe Rogan is a great example, is somebody who, you know, we forget, has spent 10 years yeah. being a stand-up comedian, n- learning his craft, learning his skill. Um, TV. Yeah, e- exactly. And so he ends up having all of that stuff 
Whereas, you know, a lot of podcasters don't have that. A lot of podcasters also don't necessarily have the consistency that somebody like that has. You know, Mark Maron, you know, again, very consistent, but yes, has a lot of back history in the other things that he has done. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that we kind of forget about. We assume that it's easy to make great audio. We assume that it's easy to then reach audiences which is a whole new different you know thing and i think that's one of the things you know it, if there's a big difference with radio and podcasting it's that podcasting you can tell a story just as you can with radio um but you don't have a captive audience with podcasting. You know, I used to be very lucky when I was doing the evening show, for example, I was taking over uh, from somebody who was doing the afternoon show who was quite good. And uh, all of the audience that he had got was then given to me. Uh, That doesn't happen in terms of a podcast. You start every single podcast from zero listeners. And you have to build up every single podcast. And the way that you do that you know, is by uh, a mixture of uh, consistency, making sure that people know what they're going to get when they listen. Oh, and by the way, people don't like beige stuff. People like things with opinion. Um, <laughs> people like things which are different. So, um, you know, so try not to be too beige and try and be a bit more colourful. Um, but also it comes down to marketing. It comes down to branding. It comes down to just your tenacity in mm. in building this. But, it, uh, you know, uh, as well, I mean, lots of people found me and found Pod News, the newsletter, because Dave Jackson did an interview with me, um, you know, after I'd been going for about three or four months. And Dave has a tremendous amount of uh, followers. Um, and, you know, and it was a great, and I didn't know who Dave Jackson was. <laughs> and it was a great thing to be on his show because all of a sudden loads more people found me. Yeah. Um, and now I've got something where, because, you know, because I'm geeky and I, and I can do it, I've got uh, alerts uh, now on my mobile phone every time somebody s- subscribes, which is God. quite a scary thing because you're then sitting and you're watching and you're going, oh, that's another person. Yeah, so, how are you getting these notifications? Is it like so, a push notification? Or yeah, something? so I've, I've um, patched them into the company's <laughs> Slack profile. and um, Oh, my God. And so it sits there and tells me every time things happen on the website and a subscription is part of those and you know and it is fascinating and i noticed you know a couple of weeks ago all of a sudden that there were loads of people from spotify email addresses um who all of a sudden have clearly found what pod news is all about and they've started uh, you know getting it and you're there thinking oh that's interesting i should that is uh, you know i should well, sort of f- focus on that a little bit more and blah 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 you that's know, a yeah. good that is a good segue to the business of of this industry which mm. You know, Spotify has been a fascinating one. We um, <clears throat> saw your your little article the other day, uh, the link to the article rather about creating playlists on Spotify, and yeah. we've we've just slowly noticed the growth in the audience that is on Spotify. Mm. Um, I, I want to touch on the point of discovery in future because that is a really good point. It's a very very hard to do. I mean, for us, the biggest thing that we've had for discovery is obviously show, social media, but but filming video, video has made it a real thing. People know that we're people on the wigs. We're not just some voice that's yes. that's there that they're. That's when it really started to to rocket off, so to speak. Mm. Um, mm. 
<clears throat> the the business model though, I mean, I, I read a really interesting piece from the VC firm Andreessen Horowitz, commonly known as A16Z in the, the tech mm-hmm. industry. And they largely spoke about the fact that- I think you'll find it's A16Z. A, A16Z, <laughs> sorry. Apologies. Um, I know a lot of, you know, the Gary V's, the Gary Vaynerchuk's of the world talk yes. about this voice first sort of movement in computing. They're talking about things like- uh, player models versus mm. vertical integration models, like a sort of Himalaya or Pocket Cast versus a sort of calm meditation app. You've spoken about how speakers and headphones and home devices are sort of, you just want to basically get there. Um, interesting little stat, I think you mentioned that nine out of 10 people still listen to audio in the morning, in the morning rather, um, which is good. And that also seven to 24 podcasts as the average has sort of increased just a, a little bit, so to speak, in the last few years. Where do you, What do you see as the key sort of future probabilities happening in this space and really sort of opening it up to a, a more broad demographic? Mm. Well, I mean, I think uh, there's a lot of change which is going on right now. So you look at the amount of change with Spotify. So, um, uh, uh, you know, so as as we record this tomorrow, I'm going to speak at uh, OzPod, which is a big uh, Australian yeah. uh, podcast conference. Um, it's the bee's and- knees of conferences. Yeah, yeah, and it's a great uh, it's a great look into the Australian podcast uh, 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 you know um, industry and um, and so I've been putting together some stats for that and the amount of podcasts that have been consumed by Spotify has gone up by a third in just a year, um, wow. which is good. Australians are actually listening to more podcasts on Spotify. Um, uh, by comparison uh, to uh, to uh, other platforms, so so actually, you know, Spotify is a really interesting um, uh, is really interesting because I think for podcasters like us, what we don't really want is we don't want one company uh, running them. We don't want one company in charge of podcasting, and we've kind of had that in the past through Apple, but the 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 whole world of RSS has kept it open and has kept it free for um the pocket casts of this world and you know overcast and you know <laughs> whoever else um for you to be able to you know innovate and now where where we're coming to is apple is having less and less influence um so below 60% of podcasts are now consumed through apple podcasts uh, Spotify is about twelve percent, so it's in a very commanding second place. Yeah, um, and growing fast, uh, and growing and growing very fast. Um, and then you've got all of the other um, podcast uh, platforms, which are still actually a- end up making quite a lot of you know numbers, you know, under the hood, uh, you know, as well. So you've got that going on. You've got uh, which is great news because actually it means that Apple can't, you know, all, all of a sudden decide to throw everybody off who's from Australia because they don't like Australians anymore, for example. There's nothing to stop uh, Apple from doing that. But at least, at least you know, you've now got all of these other platforms which are up and running, uh, which can actually, you know, stop Apple from thinking about doing that sort of thing in the future. So you've got that going on, which is helpful. But you've also got, you know, just a, a, a large number of different surfaces, I call them, for listening to podcasts. So you've got... Smart speakers, which are still tiny for podcasters, but the numbers have doubled in the last year. 
Yeah. Uh, so you've got smart speakers, but you've also got, you know, podcasts are in Spotify, they're in Deezer, they're in Pandora in the US. Um, you can now listen to podcasts uh, while you're flying with Qantas, with Virgin Australia, with British Airways. Nobody should fly with British Airways. Um, with all of these various uh, things. So you can listen to podcasts in planes. You can listen to podcasts in your hotel room when you check into a Hilton hotel in the US. You can actually, um, you know, it's got this wonderful iHeartRadio thing inside with all of the podcasts in there. Um, you can listen to podcasts in so many different ways now um, that actually that's really exciting. And only two, three years ago, we were talking about, well, frankly, Apple Podcasts and that's it because Google hadn't even you know, <laughs> sorted sorted anything out there. And uh, I mean, arguably, they haven't sorted anything they out still. They still haven't, really. But the amount of podcasts uh, played through Google has doubled in the last year. And uh, the amount of um, the amount of visibility that Google is giving podcasts is tremendously up because all of a sudden podcasts are now appearing in Google Search and that's a massive thing. They might not listen to them through Google Search. I don't care. The fact that they are actually seeing them appear in a Google Search result is really important because there are 83,000 Google searches done every single second. Um, and if podcasts can appear there, well, great. You know, so I think I think we're seeing a, a tremendous amount of different surfaces uh, of of where people are consuming podcasts and seeing podcasts, you know, in a very visible way. Um, that's great news. And we're seeing, um, thankfully, we're seeing uh, other contenders to Apple's throne of the company that is running podcasts, mm. which means that Apple can't run podcasts. And ideally, we would be at a situation where we have three large companies, all with 30% market share, and then a bunch of scrappy um, uh, folk having having fun as well for the remaining 10%. But that would be our ideal. At the moment, we've still got Apple with 60%. Yeah. Um, we've got Spotify with about 12% now. Um, still everybody else is about 3 to 1%. But, you know, that that's actually beginning to be a little bit more healthy, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I mean... When uh, we just actually moved to Simplecast, um, actually the thing that gave me the push was your review of Simplecast. You know, we were using an AWS uh, setup prior. Absolute yes. fucking nightmare. I remember reading your <laughs> review of that, talking about if you have large files, don't be doing this. And I'm just thinking in my head, yes. Yes. Yes, don't be doing this. Because it costs us something like 150 Aussie per month. It's something outrageous in comparison yeah, to what we're paying. Yeah, I mean, don't, no, don't, uh, don't, just don't host. Do don't host yourself. Basically, don't host yourself. Yeah. And the reason why I host myself is that I don't want to write a nasty story about about the hosting company which I've chosen and for them to then kick me off the yeah. next day. It's a very obviously, unique scenario. Obviously, I don't want that, but <laughs> yes. But for virtually everybody else, don't host yourself. You know, go with, uh, I'm on the advisory board of Captivate, so I should say go with Captivate, <laughs> but go with anybody you like, but uh, don't don't host yourself. No, do, do uh, not and, do that and don't all. And don't host with SoundCloud as well. Yeah, SoundCloud is horrible. Um, <laughs> it's not a podcast host. Sim Simplecast is amazing. Yeah, I'm, Simplecast is great. Um, really, really Really good, the uh, geolocation well. is really, really good. I, that's the big thing. I, I just feel like my stats are way more accurate now, and 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 that was the big thing I noticed. We went from like ninety five percent iTunes to seventy two percent iTunes, mm. um, and but it's it's also the other apps that have arisen. From, that could also be as well. The previous thing that we were using was we used sort of like a wrapper of um, oh, 
I've just blanked on that. It starts with P. Podtrack. Podtrack. We're using yes. Podtrack over the top yeah. of our own inbuilt RSS feed. And, yeah. and it just wasn't really, like I said, iPhone or iPhone platform. Or I tr- like you couldn't actually tell what people were using because yeah. it's, you know, there's all these feeder platforms. But Simplecast is amazing. And it's it's really interesting to see that that number of iTunes come down. And it just had me thinking before when we were chatting about Spotify, like what is that? And it's probably a good segue to discovery. What does that do for discovery? Because in Spotify, I was just trialing it out recently as I moved from Apple Music and, you know, there's the advertising element. Can you advertise to people Mm. uh, who are, you know, like to a younger audience who aren't using the premium version? So I think one of the things that Spotify is great at is that it gives you um, demographic stats on Mm. your listeners. So you can actually tell how many are boys and girls, what sort of age group they are, uh, even what music they're into. Um, Because obviously Spotify has that data and they share it with you on the Spotify podcasters portal. So that is great data that you literally cannot get anywhere else. So Apple don't share any of that information, um, whereas Spotify, you know, shares a bunch of that. So that's great and really useful um, stuff. And what both Apple and Spotify will share is how long people get through your podcast, which bits they fast forward through, which bits they, you know, they don't, you know, where they just leave. Um, and all of that stuff that um, is tremendous data, tremendous data. Um, and so using that data, not as overall numbers, because neither Apple or Spotify can tell you your overall numbers, but actually using that data in, in conjunction with the overall numbers that you have through Simplecast um, is a really helpful thing. Mm-hmm. And just sort of, you know, looking at that... But, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, I, uh, you know, I wouldn't necessarily worry too much about your your numbers, because at the end of the day, actually, what what really matters is, are you producing fantastic content? Yeah. And, you know, um, and, that's, and that's really important. And, you know, it's, as as many people say, you know, you your numbers won't get any bigger if you just sit and look at them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good point. I, and I agree with that. I still yeah. don't. I mean, uh, when you're in the lower bounds, I don't think it really matters. Like, um, and and particularly if you're not take like we don't take advertise. We've we've been approached many a times to take advertising, and I don't think we ever will because the thing that funds this is an agency, and so really this becomes brilliant networking, uh, a way of meeting interesting people type of tool. It's it's not for us something yeah. that that has to be monetized, so mm. to speak. So mm. I agree. And I think a lot of people really get stuck on that. You've got to sort of look for, like when I first started doing this, I was like, all right, I'm going to do eight. And on that basis, I just want to get better at speaking to people. That's it. Mm. Um, and it continued because some people liked it. And then now here we are. I'm sitting with the man whose newsletter <laughs> I read every day. Um on that point of discovery, I was I mentioned before apps like um, it's I think it's pronounced Zimalaya, but the the English version is Himalaya. Yes. Um, you got Spotify with their discovery playlist. By the way, I think it's spelt Zimalaya in China, but, but it's, it's actually pronounced Himalaya in China as well. It, <laughs> yes. It, there you go. Just to, just to massively confuse us. I, I was trying to look it up, um, but I couldn't really work it out. But yeah. Anyway, that that sort of a social first platform. You got the playlist. You got. Um, I know you're a fan of Chris um, Chris's Moonshot Pod, and he's had, um, I guess, 
Uh, he created that bot, which is all mm. about discovery. Where, how do you see things developing for the area of discovering new forms of audio and, and podcasts? And well, I think there's some, there's some really interesting uh, stuff coming out there. There's a, an app called Swoot, which is much like Twitter in that you are following people and yeah. you can then see what podcasts they're listening to and that sort of thing. There's another one uh, called Breaker. And Breaker is, again, a very social um, discovery app, which, again, is doing that sort of thing. If you're old enough to remember Last FM, uh, Last FM used to do this for music. Um, and both of these apps are doing that sort of thing for, for podcasting, where you can see what your friends are listening to and what people who you're following are listening to, what they're recommending, what they're commenting on. Podchaser um, has also started doing a social feed. Yeah. And they're a good Australian company. And, um, and, and that, again, is sort of showing, you know, the social graph, if you like, of podcasting. I think from my point of view, that means that we have three social graphs and I think we should only have one. And so I keep on I keep on talking to each of these individually and going, you guys should talk. <laughs> or get together in some form. Really good. Um but yeah, you know, so I mean I think that there's that sort of stuff going on. Um that said, you know, the ABC's uh figures that they released at Ozpod actually end end up showing that there are there are a lot of people who are listening to new podcasts, and the reason why they're listening to new podcasts is because of word of mouth, which is the number one uh, recommendation tool. But the number two recommendation tool is recommendations from podcasts, because we kind of forget, uh -huh. don't we, that podcasting is a very intimate medium. Um, you know, people actually listen to what we. Say say in podcast and so if i was to recommend a podcast and tell you to go and listen to that podcast then quite a few people would you know so we should we should use that what i'm uh, saying uh, you know at a, at uh, at uh, ospod is we should recommend more podcasts in our own podcasts to continue to raise our industry, to make sure that, uh, you know, more people are consuming more podcasts, because mm. that's a really important thing as well. Mm. Um, and so, you know, the more of that sort of sharing the love that we can actually do, the better for the industry l long term as well. So, yeah, you know, advertising and all that stuff is great. Um, you know, I know that there's uh, advertising for podcasting trams, you know, here in Melbourne. In um, I saw You that. know, I walked past a, uh, an ad in the bus stop uh, in Brisbane the other day for a podcast uh, you know all of that is absolutely fine and dandy but the the lowest hanging fruit is to advertise to podcast listeners about what other podcasts they could also go and have a listen to. I like that I should chat to some uh, fellow podcasters about that and we should uh well, that's, and that's, yeah, and that's one of the benefits of a podcast network, of course, is that you can actually do that through, throughout your network. Or one of the other things, you know, so the ABC has got together with uh, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, the CBC, mm. and regularly do cross-promotions. And that's both cross-promotions of trails and cross-promotions of actual full episodes um, so that you end up hearing a different podcast that your trusted guide is recommending you. Um, and that, to me, makes so much sense. And that's what, you know, radio has always excelled in and what podcasting has always excelled in, in terms of advertising. Why aren't we doing that in terms of great podcasts that we love as well? 
Yeah, I, I really like that. I think um, there's going to be all sorts of efforts, but I think um, little things like that uh, are going to be very useful. And I, I, you've got me intrigued now about your actual talk at Ozpod and wondering whether it's going to be recorded. Um, I, in some way, because in the past at Ozpod they've recorded certain talks, and I like watching them in hindsight. Yes, and I I hope that they are recording them. I think that they are. Yeah, I think that they are. They're not streaming it live, but I think that they're recording it. But in any case, um, if you do a search at podnews.net for Ozpod, or one word, uh, then you will find my talk because yeah. um, uh, by by the time you're listening to this, I will have posted it on Podnews. Um, uh, there may be audio there, there may not be, but there will certainly be all of the slides and everything else. So, Good, um, because yeah. I, uh, yeah, I'm going to be heading to Japan. So, wow. Yeah, I well, w- Japan I'm, is a is a different and very foreign a, place. It's a weird place. I remember um, <laughs> you were doing a talk and you were speaking about that, and I was like, yeah, I feel like there's travel before and after Japan. Yes. Um, yes. It's just such a strange, strange place. We're, this is sort of our third time now in the space of two years. We've actually got quite quite a few interviews going on there as well, so it should mm. be very interesting. Wow. Before we get into some rapid-fire questions to finish off, um, I guess I was curious as to what is, what is the business model of James Cridlin, the futurologist, the radio futurologist, rather, um, even though I know you were speaking about that, that Lord Kelvin incident and how uh, being dubbed a futurologist per se is not the best of things yes. to be well, doing. I, the only reason why I call myself a radio futurologist, as I fairly often say, is that if you can print your own business cards, you can literally <laughs> call yourself anything. Um, you literally can. When, you worked at, when I worked at the BBC... Uh, it turned out that the way that you printed business cards there is you went onto their intranet and you literally, you were given a form and you typed out in the form what you wanted your business cards to say and then they turned up. And I was there thinking, this is a tremendously trusting <laughs> thing to do. I could write myself down as anything. Managing director of the world. Um, yeah. What so did you put in tremendous, there? Oh, I had just to, the role? No, I just put my boring Damn. title. Yeah. I'm wondering if you, yeah, it would Which be funny if you put something in there. Ridiculous long title as well. It was longer than longer than the business card. What does the future was. look like for the futurologist? <laughs> well, so I think. Um, so, I mean, the world of radio, um, which used to be, you know, the thing that I worked in, has changed phenomenally over the last couple of years. So it's very much changed from being a lot of different companies to being. You know, one of two or three companies in every country. Um, they run all of the radio stations. Um, so, what typically you end mm. up with then is you end up uh, with the world of a consultant who goes in and helps radio companies. Either you're really, really big and you're really good and you go in and you help one of the top three companies, um, or you have to choose from. Um, uh, you know, you you go in like, for example, like me, I will, you know, so- Southern Cross or Stereo don't want to hear from me because they have really good people who know what the future is and they're programming for that. And I may, may or may not agree with that, but that's all fine. Whereas you've then got very much smaller broadcasters that don't really know what the future is going to be, but, but also they can't do much about it. And in any case, they probably can't afford me. 
Mm-hmm. So you've got this sort of, uh, if you look of the Venn diagram of potential clients, that Venn diagram is quite small <laughs> for any consultant in any role, by the way, but, it, but particularly when you have a look at how media has consolidated. So I love radio. I'm not going to wave radio goodbye, but certainly in terms of where the future is, clearly for independent producers for um, for where you know opportunities are um, there are clear opportunities in the podcast space and yeah. that is I think what I'm very excited about if you look at podcasting is that there aren't the gatekeepers there aren't the Southern Cross stereos and the ARNs um, and the Nova entertainments of this world um, who are basically in charge of the transmitters and they're the people stopping you from getting as far as that. Anybody, literally anybody, can do a podcast and can get it onto the same platform that the ABC are on and that, you know, um, CBS are on and the New York Times are on. And that is a tremendously exciting thing and virtually unique in the world um, of media. Um, So it's a tremendously exciting place because it means that literally anybody can compete with anybody else. And that's what I don't think that radio understands. And if radio do understand that, so iHeartRadio, for example, kind of understand that, which is why they're trying to get people to use their own app rather than uh, Apple's app or Overcast or Pocket Casts because they can control their own app. Um, But my suspicion is that um, people are, you know, the genie is out of the bottle here and people are a bit more savvy now in terms of um, understanding that they can get all of the great podcasts that they really enjoy by not going down a proprietary solution and actually going for something which is open, which weirdly Apple is. because if you think about it, that's a really weird thing for Apple to be as open as it currently is. Exactly. Um, but you've also got, you know, obviously anybody that consumes RSS feeds, um, you know, has access to all of this stuff. It's such a valuable point. I mean, we've had that with a prior guest, uh, Luke and Lewis. They had the Luke and Lewis show on Fox. Uh, mm. They were on Sundays and they moved to weeknights. Then they went back to Sundays and basically they were taught because they're comedians and they were told, yeah. well, you've got to go to Shepparton uh, to do breakfast or uh, this is what you have to do until like, you know, whoever's on drive or breakfast here locally, which we've got a contract with them for three years. Yeah. And so the, the radio network was like, well, obviously you're going to pick us, right? And they're like, well... And then, you know, they obviously left and they, they just started laughing. Like, why would we do that? And so now they've started their own show um, and they're doing a lot better yeah. because they're, they have the audience. They've got direct access to advertisers. Mm. Um, well, but this is, this is one of the difficulties I think that radio has yeah. in that if you are young talent with some really good ideas about what you can do, then either you go to a radio station who will take all of your intellectual property, who will control it, who will do all of these kinds of things, or you can turn around and go, um, I'm going to do it myself, and I'm going to do something on YouTube or do something on podcasting. And by the way, the most popular place where Germans consume podcasts is YouTube. 
So, um, <laughs> so it's probably both. So go to as many of these places as you possibly can um, and do your, do your shtick there rather than go to a gatekeeper because the gatekeeper might be able to give you a bit of audience um, as radio companies and TV companies can, but they are also very creatively controlling. Yeah, um, and also that you build a real audience. Like you, yeah, you notice you, the diff, and you get direct feedback from that audience. Like, yeah, I've noticed the difference between people who come from a mainstream media background and interviewing them, mm. and and the lack of response in their episode into someone say in comparison like yourself or the Luke and Lewis's of the world who actually have an engaged audience in their respective yeah, medium. I mean, I'd say, you know, I mean, I... Um, so when I was on, on the radio a long, long time ago, I used to... Um, I did this whole thing of... Um, it's, um, uh, it's the 10th of March, just eight days until my birthday. Uh, if you haven't bought me a birthday present, there's still time. Here's the address to send it to. Um, uh, you know, completely taking the piss. Um, but I thought, you know, this might be a way of getting some free stuff. Um, and it was. And people sent me free stuff. But then the next year, um, I just handed in my resignation. I wasn't going to keep my contract going. Um, I didn't know whether or not I'd still be on the air on my birthday. So I didn't mention it at all. Now, this is 1994, uh, so this is way back in the days when we didn't have electronic diaries or anything like, like uh, that. So in 1994, people would have copied um, one diary into another diary. Um, and I got in uh, on the day of my birthday to do my show, which I was still doing. I went to have a look at my, uh, at my post box in the, in, the, uh, in the station to see if I'd got any post. And I had got some post. I'd got four birthday cards Jesus. from listeners. Four birthday cards from people that had never met me. And the only connection they had with me was I was the guy who was a bit beige, who was saying, uh, <laughs> this is the, you know, this is, uh, that was, uh, you're listening to this radio station. Uh, what, you know, here's the time. Here's another three in a row. And literally that was the only uh, connection they had, but they felt connected enough to copy from one diary to a next when my birthday was and to then spend three quid in, in buying a card and sending something in. And you suddenly realise audio, and it's audio, it's not radio, it's audio, can do so much because it's such an intimate medium. Yeah. And the big difference, by the way, between radio and podcasting is... Radio, 50% of people are listening with other people. So when you're listening to the radio, typically you'll probably, you know, one out of two of us are listening with other people. For podcasting, that number is 90% are listening alone. Wow. So virtually everybody who's listening to this won't have anybody else in the car, won't have anybody else in the house um, who's listening to this, which, by the way, is why podcasts don't do very well on uh, smart speakers. Huh. Um, because they're piping this sound into their ears and they're listening in a really, really intimate way. And they are actually listening as opposed to the radio where quite a lot of the time it's on as background noise. So there's a real difference. And that intimacy is incredibly powerful if we use it well. Yeah, and I 100% agree with that, that intimate connection that you get with people that, you know, you've spoken in the past about that human shared connection. I notice that when I jump onto Instagram on mm. a, you know, a couple times a week, and someone will message me and say, you know, I'll just get some random message about how they love this episode or over email or whatever. And I'm like, wow, like, 
and then <clears throat> you know every now and then I'll catch up with a few of them and mm. and uh, you know I I say oh I've got this thing coming up and they're like oh yeah I know you're going to Japan to do this and that and that I'm like. I know. Wow, <laughs> it's quite scary. But it's I'll also tell you amazing. What, I'll tell you what, it's also scary when you bump into people and they say, "Do you remember when in 1997 you were on you were on the radio and you said, oh, no, God. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember that at but all." I, I do. I yes. love it. It's the, great. Uh, you isn't know, it? it's why we do what we do, right? Yeah. We love that human human connection. Human um, connection and shared experience is an incredible thing. Yeah, yeah. The rapid fire questions. Here we go. Got to ask you, uh, morning routine. What does that look like? Oh, uh, the morning routine is normally uh, f- uh, uh, stopping the dog from eating the doona, um, <laughs> f- followed by getting my daughter t- uh, ready for school and walking down and um, uh, walking down to school and then having a cup of coffee. I'm lucky enough in that I have a really good coffee shop, really n- little neighbourhood coffee shop at the bottom of our road. Beautiful. And it's just fantastic. <laughs> and so uh, that is my morning routine. And what about the evening? How do you sort of decompress at night? Well, Pod News goes out. Uh, the benefit of the time zone that we have here is that Pod News goes out at nine o'clock at night here. Okay. Um, and so, therefore, quite often my evening routine is, oh, shit, I haven't written Pod News yet. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so there's quite a lot of that that goes on. But um, I will occasionally, I've watched very little television, but of the television I watch, um, Sean McAuliffe, anything that he does has to be watched. Uh, who's an Australian comedian, for those of you who don't know. Uh, find, really- it, find his stuff on YouTube. Um, and also, uh, quite a lot of the time, I will just sit and watch YouTube videos. Um, and there is, um, so there's a YouTube video um, by a guy called, and I'm trying to remember his uh, his name, um, and I'm desperately failing at this point. What, what's the, the sort of topic? The, that- the topic is um, he's um, he's an electrician. Um, okay. He lives in the Isle of Man. Um, okay. And he basically it's uh, it's a uh, it's called Dot Com Clive is his um, is his YouTube uh, channel, and he literally he takes things apart to find out how they work. I love this, and I find it absolutely fascinating. And it, uh, you know, the last one that I saw, he was taking apart an LED light. Um, and he was explaining how the circuitry works inside, and I don't really understand anything about electronics, but I just, I find it really interesting, just sort of taking stuff apart, and and the fact that this guy is taking stuff apart, which means that I don't have to, (laughs) is probably a good thing, and it's just brilliant, and so I will sit quite often and watch that sort of thing, or, or, uh, you know, or similar. There's also the lock-picking lawyer. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm, I think I'm I've seen it. Massively recommend that. Um, so much fun. He just basically sits there, and every every uh, video that he does is three minutes long, and it's uh, the lock picking lawyer, and he takes apart, uh, and he literally he goes, you know, I have spent two hundred dollars on this, and and they say that it can't be broken and it can't be picked, and so let's see if I can. Click click click. Oh look, there you go. <laughs> I mean, literally, he just like opens every single lock within within seconds, Jesus. and it's and it's astonishing. And you just basically go, "What's um, the point?" Yeah, what what is the point of even locking your house? Because <laughs> uh, my goodness, uh, you know, you can literally get into anything within seconds. Um, it's, so it's funny you mentioned that because I found a lock picking channel, which I think may be the same one, um, but I haven't watched it for a long time, and I found that through Mister Puzzle. This German, Mr. Puzzle, <laughs> and Puzzle. he he basically he goes and breaks down these super complex puzzles, which are f- absolutely yes. fascinating. Um, and I've also recently found uh, the Internet Historian, who's an Australian, 
I'm pretty sure he's Australian. Like, I feel right. like he's he's said that. And, but he, rena- he remains anonymous for fear of attack because he basically documents the sort of the propaganda fights between Tumblr and 4chan. Oh, it's, right. It's okay, f- yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah. fascinating. Yes. Oh, interesting. Um, so yeah. no one knows who he is, but yes. um, he's hilarious because he just basically takes out, takes the piss out of both groups and I absolutely love it. It's the yeah. one that I got into a real... You know when you get into those really deep yes. wells yes. and you probably watch like 200 videos in a row over yes. a few days of these of this channel? So that's, that's been yes. my go-to. And, and I'd also recommend Technology Connections, which is um, a guy who films this in his basement. <laughs> he looks like the sort of guy who films it in his basement. Um, but it's really good. He basically goes into, you know, the history of laser disc or you know um or you know vhs machines um uh you know why vhs video worked the way it did and all of this kind of stuff and and but what he's done with it is he has researched you know he's basically researched everything and he's done a really good job at it and it's really well done and really cleverly put together um and and you know and again anybody that has the passion i think you know uh, what what comes with, with with all of this is its passion passion in whatever you're really into how can you get that passion to as many people as you possibly can mm-hmm. and uh you know and there's some really good uh, stuff out there so anyway so that's what i uh, i sit and consume <laughs> rather than sitting and watching whatever you victorians laughingly yeah. call sport <laughs> all right last question for you I'm enjoying that. That was a very good, uh, f- quick and fast question. <laughs> it never, ever becomes quick. Um, what's your five favourite non-musical sounds? Five. Five yeah. favourite non-musical sounds. Wow. Oh, I mean, rain on the roof, which I, I'm not sure I can remember what that sounds like in Queensland, to be honest with you. But anyway, that's one of them, because um, that's a nice sound. It's lovely. I mean, obviously, you'd, tin roof. You, uh, obviously, you'd have to say, you know, daughter laughing. Obviously, that that would that, that would have to be in there, and that's an easy one to get past two. Um, uh, what else? Um, uh, the bing that tells you that the aeroplane is just about to land that's a good that's a good sound recent one as well for you cannot believe how far away australia is from the rest of the world why didn't anybody tell me um so uh that's a good one where are we up to number three um well you got three in total you got two more i used to i used to really like this is very geeky but i used to really like um before the days of playing uh, m- uh, music and sound effects and things on uh, on computer, um, you used to use these things called carts, and they were eight-track cartridges, and you banged them into a player, and then you hit play, and it would play, and then it would fast-forward and whiz all the way back to the front, and that's a specific noise that just reminds me of having fun on the radio, which was a long, <laughs> long time ago. So you would, would never happen again. You would literally press play to play that noise. And you would press play, and then it would go. Vz, 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 vz. Oh no! Uh, you know, so the, so it would play whatever the jingle was, and then it would fast forward back to the beginning of the because uh, it was a continuous loop. I, I should probably wow. explain that. Um, it was like a Mobius loop in a cart machine. 
Um, and uh, yeah, that was a that that was a re- it's a really evocative noise. It's a bit like the noise of a mo- uh, of a modem that yeah. people might re- remember. It's one yeah. of those noises that you'll never hear ever again. But it was quite a nice noise back at the time. Well, for me, it was a big one because I sort of lived through the the transition era of tape to CDs. Yes, and um, my grandparents recorded a bunch of rate. So my grandfather was a publisher, and he mm. loved like. TV shows and yeah. and radio and all that stuff. So I've watched every Faulty Towers and yes. Disney movie that he recorded, including the Snappy Tom ads that were in between. Nice. Um, so yeah, I've got a fond memory for that sound too. Yes. That sort of wing. Yes. Yes. It's very very fast. Um, yes. Yes. But, but in that case, it was obviously for TV. All right, you got one more. Oh, one more. I was hoping that you'd forget about that. <laughs> uh, one more. Surely there's like a transmission type sound or not really I mean you know I mean obviously when you when you've worked in audio for a long long time um you know I mean I I was saying that you know some sometimes when these weird people post clips of you on the radio years and years and years ago and you suddenly listen back to that and you go oh wow you know and it completely opens up new uh, you know, it completely opens up memories uh, uh, for you. Um, um, but I'm not actually a particular fan of radio jingles. Otherwise, you know, you'd probably expect me to say, oh, radio jingles. Um, <laughs> but I'm not a particular fan of that. I'm just wondering what other what other uh, noise... Um, I, I mean, maybe the other noise that would sort of, you know, would be fun and would take me back would be some of the text alert noises on my original, you know, <laughs> iPhone and things like that. I used to have, as my text alert, one of the phones that I had, I used to have um, the noise that you hear in French um, in French train stations... So you know here it might go right. bing bong and then and then you'll get told that you know some train has been cancelled um whereas in France there's there's a, a little tune that's played and it's a very very French tune and as soon as you hear it you go I'm in France <laughs> and I had that as my ringtone uh, as my not my, not as my ringtone as my text message number wow. uh, text message noise um and it was a tremendous uh, and they still use it it's the SNCF um you know uh, a Bing thing, and they make Bing. a whole, and they make a whole um, musical. Uh, all of their TV ads and their radio ads all use this, made up into a full uh, track and everything else. It's, um, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. I'm definitely um, going to be look because this is one of my favorite things to do afterwards. Is look at things, and obviously Lauren will link it all. But um, yeah, looking at this sort of stuff is fascinating. Well, you know, I mean, so so the so the sound goes do 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 do. And and uh, and you know and here's a here's a, a massive um, a massive challenge. I bet you can't manage to find that and then edit it into here, where I then go do 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 do, and then it works. Um, <laughs> that would be good though. Yeah, it would be good though. But it's uh, yeah, it's just and it reminds me of going on holiday and you know and standing in Lille station waiting for my train back. To the UK and you how know, quintessentially blah, blah, blah. English of you? Yeah, well, not not very quintessentially English because I've just said I admire something that the French have done. No, but that's so. like you know the old cliche <laughs> of the pom, the pom goes on holiday to the to France and they both hate each other, but at the end of the trip they realise that they both love each other. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. My dad's got a uh, a partner in his business, and he's from uh, London as well. And it's the same old thing. They go on trips all the time. You get the Eurorail, uh, and yeah, they just whinge about French people. But really, oh, you know, I mean, and and to be honest, we won't be able to go. Us Brits won't be able to go anywhere in Europe uh, now. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so it'll be it'll be dim and dark history. I would yeah. have thought. <laughs> All right. Well, look, James, thank you so much for coming in. It's a great pleasure. Um, where can people find you on the interwebs? Ah, well, uh, podnews.net, obviously. Uh, you mm-hmm. should go there. You should subscribe. Um, it's free. Uh, <laughs> so that would be a good thing. Um, uh, if you're interested in uh, f- the future of radio and stuff like that, then james.crid.land is my okay. uh, rather strange website address for that. Uh, just type that in and you can get a weekly newsletter about that. And you'll also find me on Twitter and... LinkedIn? Well, link, LinkedIn <laughs> if you really have to. But uh, Twitter is good. I'm either at James Cridland or at Podnews. Um, okay. And you'll find me there and, you know, virtually everywhere else. Um, Are you on Instagram these days? No. I used... I once tried to use Instagram... Um, uh, and once tried to pull in data from Instagram into Media Info um, so that I could do charts of how well radio stations were being talked up on Instagram and on Facebook and on Twitter and blah, blah, blah. And I, and I did all of the code for Facebook and for Twitter. And Instagram spotted me uh, scraping their data and have banned me. Uh, and so um, I can't actually get into Instagram and use Instagram uh, at all. <laughs> Uh, but also, I don't really care. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm nearly fifty. Why? Why would I? <laughs> it's just kids on there, right? Yeah, not not anymore. <laughs> it's it's like the it's the most pa- um, popular platform now, obviously. But the yeah. interesting one for me is TikTok. Yeah, people keep saying it's kids on there now, but that'll be the new Instagram in the next two to three years. Which yeah. is, it's interesting to play around. I've had a video that's had twelve thousand plus views, and I've ha- I hardly do anything on it. Yes. Uh, but, and then other videos that have got like a hundred. The the discovery element is 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 it's like Twitter and Instagram meshed together. That's yes. how I'd call it. But um, yes. it's very very interesting. Yes, but no, I'm not on there. I'm not on there. It's a pity. I'd love to see you doing some TikToks. That'd but, be funny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Look, James, thank you so much for coming in. It's been a pleasure having you on. Great pleasure. Thank you for asking. Cheers. Thank you for making it to the end. Before you run off, subscribe if you enjoyed this episode or do leave us a rating. For Instagram, go follow us on at uncommon underscore podcast. For YouTube, search uncommon podcast and don't forget to subscribe if you're watching this video. Also, give us a like or leave a comment on what you thought about the episode. But until next time, thanks so much for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Neural Media. Are you an entrepreneur or marketer who needs help making podcasts, video, or animation? Perhaps you don't have time to manage a freelancer or the budget to deal with an agency. Well, Neural Media can help you with simple and affordable content creation, saving you time and money by taking away the pain of producing that content. To learn more, head to neural.com slash media. That's N-E-U-R-A-L-L-E.com slash media, play around with our pricing or request a callback directly. Listeners to the show receive a special discount by using the promo code UNCOMMON.